Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Just a little disclaimer, I promise that if I ask you to read a scripture and video, in a video for our Sunday service, you do not have to climb a mountain like Maggie Eronimus did. Did you see that? Like I seriously, she climbed a mountain to read our scripture. That was pretty special. Thank you so much, Maggie, for doing that this week. Let us pray. Holy God, send your, send your spirit upon us, that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. So this week... On Monday, last Monday, I had lunch with the bishop. <laughs> I know. I mean, like the bishop, the leader of our Mountain Sky Conference of the United Methodist Church, which covers Colorado, Wyoming, um, Montana, Utah, and a little bit of Idaho. She asked me to lunch. You know, it's not that I've never talked to the bishop before or never had a chance to, to be with her or hang out with her, but never one-on-one. -on -one. Some of you will remember about a, a little over a year and a half ago, it'll be two years in January, the bishop actually came here and preached as we celebrated 100 years of our church building, and she stayed afterwards for lunch. But that was with everyone, not just her and me. I'm sure the reason that I was, well, I know, the reason I was privileged to have this lunch invitation is because I was nominated and um, selected as the chair of the Board of Ordained Ministry for the Mountain Sky Conference, and I took over this role last, uh, this past July, so just the last few months. And the Board of Ordained Ministry, or BOM, as we like to call it, has a large area of responsibility, but mostly what we do, or one of the most important things that we do, is interview and credential clergy 
that come through the process. Kind of like Reverend Jamie Lee, um, who will hopefully be recommended to be ordained um, later in the spring, and then ordination is a little bit later. It's a big job being the chair of the board, but I have served on the board for about eight years. I kind of thought I probably knew what the job entailed, and so I said yes to that. So when the bishop contacted me to ask me to lunch, I assumed that she wanted to talk about the ways the board and she and the cabinet can work together better, more efficiently. And I was super cool about it too. She emailed me, want to have lunch? And I was like, oh sure, sure I'll have lunch with the bishop. Yeah, no problem. But inside I was like, Bishop wants to have lunch with me. I'm a bit of a fangirl when it comes to our bishop. She is a powerful and important leader in our church, and she has a strong personality, and she's my boss. So then I was like, oh my goodness, the bishop wants to have lunch with me. The more I thought about it, the more I started thinking that maybe I'd done something wrong, or maybe she was going to ask me something, or maybe she was going to tell me to do something. And so I kind of wound myself up into this fun little state of anxiety um, leading up to our lunch. And Monday, when I left the church office, it was our new operations manager, Katie Doherty's very first day on her own. And I was leaving the office like, Bye, I'm going to lunch with the bishop. I'm going to lunch with the bishop. And I'm sure she had no idea what to do with me. I was just a little, little ramped up. Over lunch, there was small talk, and I was waiting for some proverbial hammer to drop. But no, we just talked, and she asked about my family, and she asked about the church, and she asked about my work with the board, until finally I said, so is there an agenda for today? And she was like, oh no, Sandy, I just wanted to sit down and have lunch with you. And I was like, okay, but still I kept waiting because I felt like there was something there that probably she wanted to talk about. And so I asked her another couple of times, so was there something specific you wanted to talk about today at lunch? Until finally she was like, no, Sandy, I just wanted to sit down and hear from you and support you. Support me? Support me? I'm the one who should be supporting her. Bishop Karen Olivito is the first out LGBTQ bishop that we've ever had in the United Methodist Church. She was elected about four years ago. Some would say that her election to bishop was one of the catalysts for the looming schism of our denomination. Now, in the Mountain Sky Conference, most of us have welcomed her with open arms, and we have been blessed by her leadership and deep spiritual grounding. But that does not mean that over the last four years, she hasn't been the target for some of the meanest vilest criticisms and has received threats, death 
threats and all sorts of incendiary and threatening opposition. And these are not things that she personally talks about very much, but word gets around us clergy. Instead, the bishop focuses on love, on grace, on bringing people together, on being in our communities and making a difference with our faith. She is an amazing leader, not because she has no adversity, but because in the midst of it, she stays grounded, loving, and faithful. Last week, we started our November sermon series based on this book by Brene Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection, Letting Go of Who You Think You're Supposed to Be and Embracing Who You Are. And in this book, Brene Brown talks about different practices or what she might call guideposts to wholehearted living. Last week, we looked at authenticity, And this week we look at resilience. Brown writes about her research of resilience and says that according to the people I interviewed, the very foundation of the protective factors or the things that made them bouncy, the things that made them able to bounce back from adversity, was their spirituality. Then she goes on to say feelings of hopelessness, fear, blame, pain, discomfort, vulnerability, and disconnection sabotage resilience. The only experience that seems broad enough and fierce enough to combat a list like that is the belief that we're all in this together. And that something greater than us has the capacity to bring love and compassion into our lives. My friends, it has been a week, has it not? It has been a week in the midst of a year, right? Good heavens, what other large-scale stressful events can we add onto the top of our lives? We have pandemic, anti-racism, presidential election. I am convinced the zombies are next. It's hard not to feel hopelessness, fear, blame, pain, discomfort, vulnerability, and disconnection. Regardless of where you personally hoped the election would end up, the outcome announced yesterday doesn't erase the divided nature of our country, our communities, our families even. With the pandemic seeming endless, with the, un- with the apparent unbreachable divide of our society and winter on the way? How in the world are we going to get through all of this? 
when life seemed overwhelming for the Romans, Paul reminded them that throughout the whole history of the world, God had gotten faithful people through a lot worse. People like Jacob, who was on the run most of his life from his brother Esau, or Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his own brothers, or Moses, who was a murderer, but still championed for the freedom of his people, or countless women in the Bible who throughout the scripture remain unnamed because they really didn't have any worth in a lot of eyes, but they persisted for the sake of their children. For those who had the wrong color skin or loved the wrong person or were disabled or sick or lived on the wrong side of the border, for all of those people, God's love has never wavered. And so Paul writes, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah and amen. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.